podcast is brought to you by DIA, the trusted global neutral forum for healthcare product development professionals. DIA, driving insights to action. In March 2022, the Tufts Center for the Study of Drug Development issued the results of a working group study in a Tufts CSDD impact report that examines clinical trial budgets and factors that drive commonly observed variations and cost. I am Alberto Grignolo, Editor-in-Chief of DIA Global Forum, and today my guest is Dr. Ken Getz, Executive Director and Professor at the Tufts Center for the Study of Drug Development. He's also board chair of the Center for Information and Study on Clinical Research Participation, or CISGRIP. Ken, thank you for joining us today, and welcome. Thank you so much, Alberto. Always a pleasure to be here and to have a chance to talk with you. Terrific. Let's get started. But before we get to the findings of the report that I just mentioned, the center, CSDD, has previously examined clinical trial budgets and actual costs. Have you done that? And if so, how long ago was that previous study? What did it show? Just at a high level, just as a reminder. Yes. So as many of our listeners will know, the Tufts Center has gathered macro level data on the cost to develop a successful drug. And over the last uh, 10 years or so, we've tried to get more granular to look at clinical trial budgets, to sort of look at different elements and contributors to that overall cost. So in 2010 and 2015, as part of our work looking at protocol complexity and its impact on performance, we also started gathering some data on clinical trial budgets. But it was more within the context of understanding protocol design practices. And in the 2020 study, we gathered enough of a sample that we could look at budgets specifically. And As many of our listeners may know, part of the focus of all of these studies is to understand how complexity, how increased customization in our trials, more fragmentation as we have different parties involved, contributes to longer cycle times and larger budgets than comparable studies when we control by therapeutic area in the past. And has there been any other recently published research on this topic, whether by the center or others? We're primarily aware of only anecdotal reports or case studies. Most people, most researchers have found that it's really hard to get cost data. Some of the CROs are able to monitor their budgets as part of their relationship with individual companies. So they probably have a better handle on their costs and individual clinical trial costs than virtually anyone else out there. But it's very rare that we would see much of that data published. So we view a lot of the work that we do in this area as differentiated, if you will, or distinct, because we have the privilege of being able to collect some of this data from companies that are comfortable providing it to us. Coming now to the study that I mentioned at the top in your impact report, at the high level, what are the salient findings of this study? It probably won't come as a surprise to people that we observed in this study, we looked at about 225 budgets that were associated with individual clinical trial protocols across phases one, two, and three. And what we saw was a high level of misestimation of the direct clinical trial costs or the clinical trial budget. And the highest level of inaccuracy 
was associated with the earliest phases of our protocols. And in oncology, we saw higher relative inaccuracy compared to non-oncology protocols. And as we unpack that further, we saw that we typically overestimate our oncology clinical trial budgets. So the inaccuracy tends to be an overestimation. And in non-oncology, we tend to underestimate with the highest level of inaccuracy in phase one, and it slowly erodes or deteriorates as we move into the later phases, that level of inaccuracy. And can remind us what time frame did the study cover? We were looking at protocols that had locked the data set by 2019. So most of them fall within the 2017-2018 range. We have a few that had locked the data set, but we're still actually working on analyzing the data set even into early 2020. Now, would it stand to reason that since these studies were conducted between 2017 and 2019, as you said, companies have had experience running studies well before 2017? wouldn't that experience inform their ability to more accurately estimate budgets for studies? What a great question, Alberto. Every five to 10 years when we conduct updates on our protocol complexity studies, you would think that our timelines would start to tighten, that our budgets and our costs would improve, but we don't see that. If anything, I think it shows the challenge that increased complexity poses to our clinical teams. And not only are we seeing longer timelines today and larger budgets, but we see more variation around the mean for any of these measures, which means that it's getting more difficult for companies to predict or to anticipate and manage an expected timeline or an expected budget. And the reason that's so important, and I think one of the reasons why this new study is getting so much attention, is it really speaks to one of two things. Either the execution of our protocols is really posing more difficulty in managing it, but it may also suggest that our planning, our planning and the expected performance is even harder for us to manage, which means we may not be allocating resources optimally. So it really suggests a lot of opportunities to try to optimize protocol design. And we haven't, we haven't really figured out how to do that very well. As I recall, for many years, Ken, you've published data to the effect that protocols have become increasingly complex with many, many more data points being collected compared to a decade ago, certainly compared to two decades ago. Could that be a factor, protocol complexity, driving the difficulty of correctly estimating budgets? Yes, exactly. And that's probably one of the major conclusions of this study. Again, we were trying to characterize another area where we would see impact. In this case, our ability to plan and manage a budget for a clinical trial, which is a direct representation of how we would allocate resources, the expected areas where we anticipate the highest cost elements, which would include vendor service costs, recruitment and retention costs, clinical supply costs. There are so many factors that are difficult to manage to try to rein in and have an accurate and more efficient uh, budget. 
So the impression I'm receiving from your comments is that really we're dealing with a moving target. Even as companies try to estimate budgets correctly or accurately, things are moving. Protocols are becoming more complex. The broader environment is becoming more complex, I guess, making it more difficult for companies to estimate correctly. Would you agree with that? Completely. I would agree with that. And it really begs the question, is this acceptable for as we strive to improve our planning capabilities and efficiency, do we need to look for some of the underlying factors that might be contributing to a target that's moving even more now than it did uh, 10 years ago? Getting into some of the specifics of the most recent study, the study shows that the widest disparity between planned and actual clinical trial budgets is in phase one oncology trials, where sponsors, the study states, overestimate the cost by about 28%. Conversely, for non-oncology phase one trials, sponsors underestimate the cost by about 9%. Ken, I'm interested in what you think are the reasons for this disparity in phase one. One would think these should be the easiest, smallest trials. It should be fairly easy to get the estimates correctly. Apparently not the case. Not the case. Our working group, uh, which was about 25 uh, pharma, biotech, and CRO companies that participated in this study, found these findings very, very intriguing. And so we are doing a follow-up study now to gather more granular data. We suspect, Alberto, because we showed in this study that there's a kind of a scale efficiency. As our trials get larger and become later stage, there's more experience that our sites have with the studies that the sponsor and the CRO have managing the trial, that that is one of the reasons why the budget starts to come closer to plan, the actual to expected. In phase one, especially in oncology, the complexity matches or is very close to a phase two oncology or phase three trial. So you see more endpoints, more procedures, more countries, more sites, So many of the scientific and executional scope factors that all contribute to more difficulty reining in and managing and planning the budget. So uh, we think that that may be behind the finding in oncology. Why is it overestimated? You know, that's something interesting to ask. It may, in fact, be tied to the impact that amendments have in oncology in particular. Oncology trials have twice the number on average of amendments than do non-oncology studies. And although amendments are unplanned and unbudgeted, we've found in other studies that they do generally contribute to the desired outcome of, especially in oncology, reducing the total number of patients enrolled in the study. So it may in fact be a reflection of having a smaller number of patients that are enrolled in the trial by the end of the study, and that may be contributing to some of that overestimation. The overestimation being 28% suggests that sponsors provide an estimate and then in the course of the study or after discovered that, hey, it wasn't as expensive as we had thought. So there is an element of surprise there. And so do they tend to sort of exaggerate the budget ahead of time, expecting, oh, this will be a very expensive study. But in retrospect, actually, it wasn't that expensive. So what makes it less expensive than expected? Well, that's exactly that. That's scale experience, scale efficiency by phase two, right? You have a much better sense for what this project will entail. But phase one, 
you're really going to see that overestimation or less accurate budgets. And remember, the budget is a function of so many things, including inputs from the sites, inputs from the CRO and other service providers. So there's a lot of opportunity for that anticipatory budgeting without a lot of experience uh, behind it. Let me move to another question. Again, the study we're talking about, the 2022 study shows that the average clinical trial budget per patient in non-oncology studies is, as the study says, higher in phase one than in subsequent phases and suggests this is, quote, likely due to the number of safety assessments performed and volunteer compensation. So the question, Ken, is how broad is the practice of volunteer compensation and what is the impact of this practice on clinical trial budgets? This is an area where we have so little data, Alberto. We Mm. actually don't have any robust research that actually gives us a hard estimate for the total number of study volunteers who are compensated. We know from reports that have been provided by companies that provide reimbursement for out-of-pocket expenses that that practice is fairly high. Over 70% of all trials will provide some level of reimbursement and it may even be higher. In fact, even patients report that they received some level of reimbursement for out-of-pocket expenses like a parking costs and that sort of thing, or daycare. But volunteer compensation, we believe, is well below that, and it depends on the disease condition and the phase of the research. In non-oncology studies, you see higher level of volunteer compensation in part because it's a critical incentive to attract healthy volunteers. Mm-hmm. Right. And we often see compensation like that offered when in non-oncology studies, we enter into sort of rescue mode, right? The trial is so far off the enrollment targets that the sponsor and the CRO are looking for ways to really offer and attract more patients and retain more patients in the study. In oncology, we think the biggest driver is the level of safety assessment activity. And in the study, if you recall, we showed that the volume of data collected in an oncology study in phase one is 10 times the volume that we see in a non-oncology study. They begin to look more similar in later stages when the non-oncology studies have a much higher volume of patients. But in phase one oncology studies, there's just a remarkable volume of data. And some of it, to your point, may in fact be this sort of overambitious, anticipatory desire to gather as much as possible and let that inform downstream protocol activity. Next question. As the study shows, the size of the budget is directly correlated to the number of countries in which the study is conducted, regardless of study phase, one, two, or three. Do you have a sense of how much of this cost is due to sponsor or CRO direct labor costs, as opposed to pass-through costs like travel and investigative fees, given the multiplicity of countries involved in studies where a lot of countries are engaged? Yes. This study, the definition of the clinical trial budget, and what companies were able to provide only related to the direct costs for external services and external personnel. So it would include CRO and uh, vendor service personnel. It would include, as I mentioned, recruitment and retention, investigator fees or study grants, for example, and 
A big one that we often don't think about is clinical trial supply distribution and those elements. What we were able to gather were estimated FTE numbers, and that included the indirect personnel, the sponsor FTEs plus the CRO FTEs. So we hope that companies can calculate that on their own. We don't have a good feel for that ourselves. But you can see in the study that the number of FTEs in total rises dramatically depending on the number of countries, as you mentioned. And we've seen in other studies that the more countries you add, the more the executional complexity of the study, the regulatory complexity is more challenging, the allocation of uh, study monitors and the collection of data, the delivery of clinical trial supplies. So all of those things we know go hand in hand and suggest to us that that is clearly a major factor. The new research we're doing will try to tease out the biggest contributors. Is travel and some of those other related costs, as you mentioned, creating a large enough driver of the higher cost when more countries are involved, or is it more of a personnel based uh, area. That's something we're really going to try to tease out in, in our new study. And with the advent of remote monitoring, maybe travel may become less of a cost factor in the future, do you think? We do. It's one of the great ironies at the Tufts Center. We're always excited to do updates to our studies because something has always changed in the environment. In this case, now we have the pandemic influenced or necessitated virtual and remote trials. There's so many new factors that may contribute to more complexity, but may also drive higher levels of convenience, more rapid data collection. So we cannot wait to provide uh, updates to our studies and compare post-pandemic or current pandemic activity to pre-pandemic protocol design behavior. Which brings me elegantly to my final question, and that is, as director of the center, what would you like to see the center do in relation to clinical trial budgets, and what questions would you like to see answered in the next study? As I mentioned, we have seen such a strong response to this study. Response meaning more the number of inquiries, the number of companies that have asked us to come and talk about the findings or opportunities to have a discussion in a podcast or in an interview. And that for us uh, really speaks to the relevance and the timeliness of this topic. We've done a couple of things. We've initiated a new study looking specifically at the impact that protocol amendments are having on very granularly measured cost elements as well as performance elements. And we're also doing a study where we'll be looking at fully loaded costs that really gets at the question you posed. Can we tease out and actually get reasonable estimates for the indirect FTE costs that a sponsor allocates in any given clinical trial? We're looking to have much more granular and robust comprehensive measures of costs uh, in the future as well. And when can we expect the next report to be issued? <laughs> well, the protocol amendment study we hope will be completed in the fall, and we hope to have results available early in 2023. The cost study, it's harder to convince companies to get behind it. So we're, we're really spending time organizing and uh, providing an overview that really creates the comfort level that organizations have and sharing that level of granularity and in, in, uh, cost data specifically. So 
that one I'm hopeful we'll have something in late 2023 that we can share and discuss. Very good. Good luck with that. That brings us to the end of our conversation. Ken, really appreciate your time today. And as always, thank you for the work that the standard does and good luck with your future work. Thank you so much and always a pleasure. For DIA Global Forum, I am Alberto Grignolo. To learn more about this topic, visit us online at diaglobal.org. Thank you.